0: Hello, everybody, and welcome to the latest episode of the You Should Run podcast. I am Tony Heil, council member in Bridgeport, Pennsylvania, and if you've listened to this podcast before, and I hope some of you have, uh, you know I've talked to people from Maine to Hawaii, Alaska to Florida, all points in between, from school board up to U.S. Senate. There are 500,000 elected positions in this country. One crazy statistic with that is that the United States population is 51% female. Only 30% of those positions are run by women, which kind of shows a lot of how policymaking is done for good, bad, or indifferent. But every election matters, uh, even the ones, especially often the ones that are uncontested or fly under the radar. The elections right now that may not get nearly enough attention, um, or maybe are finally getting enough attention, are school board races. And for many years, school board elections have kind of been perfunctory. No one else is running but the same people there. People just know them. But now, unfortunately, there are some wild things happening, and not just in Florida, not just in Texas, but every state in the country, basically. And today, I'm going to learn about it with someone who is in one of the most contentious and important school board elections in the country. Her name is Dana Foley. She is a mom, a healthcare professional in Central Bucks, Pennsylvania, and she's going to talk about what she's doing and hopefully what you should be paying attention to your school board elections. So Dana, thank you for talking today.
1: Thank you so much for having me, Tony. I'm excited to be here.
0: So um, before we start, people often don't pay attention to school board. Their first election that people get involved in is often U.S. president, right? That's the thing that they care about, whether it's Trump or Obama or Nixon, whatever. Have you always been engaged in politics in some way, shape, or form? Was there something that kind of got you more involved, or is this the thing?
1: Yeah, that's a great question. So I've, I'm have i a nurse practitioner by background. I have to tell you I'm not a politician, and I never planned to run for office. Um, but I also never planned to raise my children in a political climate quite like this. Mm-hmm. And so naturally... Um, with everything going on in our district, I've spent a lot of my time wondering what the heck has happened in the past couple of years. And so watching the leadership running our district, um, including our board majority and some of our administrators, um, I've watched them choose, you know, choose to focus on inciting division in the schools, um, overlooking the needs of the students, teachers, and families here in Central Box, um, including what they really need and deserve. Um, it's distracted the teachers in our district and our students, and it's really created a sense of chaos and division in our community where we live. Um, I felt like it was really necessary for me to step up and step in, um, to model to my children, what it means to take part in a world that we believe we can and that we should have. And so the school board felt like a good place to start.
0: So it's a good place to start because of where you are. And I got to be honest, I looked up Central Bucks. It's been such a contentious uh, controversy there over the past few years, which we'll get into. But it's also not considered a bad school district, right? Those test scores are good. uh, Teacher ratio, I think, is good. Um, Tell me a little bit about the actual school district. What should people know about the district there?
1: So, our school district—the last uh, numbers I looked at—I think we had upwards of seventeen thousand five hundred students. I believe Central Bucks is the fourth largest in the state. Um, it has an excellent reputation. Um, it's actually what drew me and my husband to uh, buy a home here. Um, and the—you know—the community itself is—it's a lovely place to raise a family. So, the public school system in Central Bucks has has been—you know—kind of viewed by many people to be one of the best to to really have your kids go through. Um unfortunately over the past couple of years we've seen a decline in in some of the things that we once you know kind of prided ourselves on um like many schools and school districts we were facing learning loss um staffing shortages um and you know I as a you know as a member of the school board yourself I'm sure you're familiar with you know the mental health crisis we're facing in youth so the school district unlike many or like many others is facing a lot of problems and so what we haven't been able to focus on in the past few years are those issues, and a lot of that has to do with who's currently running our school district. And yeah. so in terms of you know kind of looking at some of some of the information in our district, I think what we're starting to see is the reputation of, of our schools decline. Mm -hmm. um and in turn that affects our community if our school district reputation plummets then we're talking about um property values falling and there's a lot of different things to consider even if you don't have a kid in our school district if you're just talking about this area um you know the the community is concerned and so you know the schools are something that lead people to live here and want to raise a family here and now we're talking about not wanting to live here and not wanting to raise a family here because of what our you know our school leaderships our school district leadership has is kind of done.
0: Yeah, I am involved in my school. I have two young kids; they're in first and third grade. Um, I though I'm on my borough council, and we have our school oh. board. They're totally fine. But um, i after, especially throughout the COVID issues. I was so glad I wasn't on the school board because, <laughs> I, I mean, the, in my experience of people on school boards generally, not always, I guess, but generally really compassionate they care about their, the kids um it has not always been that partisan there might be someone who like i don't agree with but okay or the intention is there now you talk i know you said that things kind of took a turn for the worse after 2021 but was there a ton of contention due to all of the COVID issues in 2020 that kind of kicked this off
1: yeah, I would say the school district was very much divided, very similar to the way our country is divided. Mm-hmm. You know, what What continues to kind of intrigue me at a personal level is that national politics absolutely trickle down and affect us at the local politics, um, in relation to local politics. And so much of the controversy that was happening nationally was happening here in Central Box. And there was, you know, discussion, heated discussion and debate about reopening the community, reopening the schools. And not everybody had the same thought process there. Um, so yes, it, you know, I would say a lot of the chaos—what I what I'm terming chaos—began uh, in 2020. Um, it really started to come to a head in 2021 um, as the leadership of our school board majority shifted.
0: Mm-hmm. Do you, now, do you think that the the leadership sh- uh, leadership shifted? That's a tongue twister. Uh, that that happened. Because there's just so much energy on that side against the last years, because of pushback on national politics. Because I know so many, everything's so political now, whether you want it to be or not. Um, Or was it that people don't get engaged enough in school board elections? Because oftentimes these quote unquote off year elections get like 10 percent turnout or 15 percent turnout, and that doesn't help with getting people elected
1: that's true I would say it's a combination of both of those things um a lack of real engagement in local politics especially like you said in these off-year elections people not voting people not paying attention um, and arguably people were very distracted mm-hmm. in 2021 um, and so I think a lot of a lot of that played into what happened here um you know and it's it's tough to say you know I don't think it's one or the other I think it's in you know, a both Mm -hmm. to to kind of answer your question.
0: Yeah. And before we get into specifics of the district, I think that Bucks County is really interesting. My wife just spent a weekend there with uh, some friends from out of state, didn't get getting together. It's beautiful. It also feels like it's its own state, like it's the New Hampshire of Pennsylvania. Um, But we've had over years, I've been involved politically for 20 plus years. uh, And you know, Montgomery County went from very Republican years ago to now the most, second or third most Democratic county. The other counties have been shifting. And it seems like Bucks is the one that we're kind of like pulling along in that political change. Is that kind of, do you, do you think there's a little bit of a pushback there, or maybe some concern about the change demographically or politically, given how the suburbs are changing here in the Philadelphia area?
1: Yes and no. I think that, you know, you know, Bucks County in general has, has always been considered, I guess people refer to it as a red County. Um, and so things in the, in the most recent election, there's been a little bit of a shift there in terms of political representation, mm-hmm. the demographics here, you know, I don't know that there's been a distinct shift, but I think because of what's happening outside of Bucks County, you know, people are paying attention to what, to what's going on here. So I, I think to answer your question, you know, yes, um I do feel that you know, what's happening, you know, in Philadelphia and around around Philadelphia is is impacting some of what's going on here. Um but I think what's unique to Central Bucks is people really feel like they love living here. They mm-hmm. love our schools and they don't want it to change. Mm-hmm. Um, and so they want things to stay the same. They, they want things to stay stable. And yeah. so depending on, you know, for years past, we've had, you know, school boards that are completely Republican um, with no Democrat representation that have functioned extremely well. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, now there's a lot of focus on, you know, the board majority, Republican versus Democrat. And truthfully, what's at play and what's going on in terms of the decision-making here is that this isn't just about Republican representation. This is about, you know, um, political agendas being kind of pushed through a school board um, to keep a community divided and, um, you know, and, and, and probably push through some larger level politics, culture wars, we refer to it as, um, and keep them alive and well in schools, which if you talk to the majority of people, um, you know, I think I read an article recently where, you know, there was a poll for parents asking, you know, what their feelings are about culture wars in schools. And three out of five parents from all walks of life with all all different backgrounds said they don't want it at play. They don't want it up for discussion in their schools. And so, you know, what we're seeing is a board majority focused on being committed to creating a sense of divide in the community. And so um, I think what what we're struggling with now is that we're, we're seeing something that should be really nonpartisan, and nonpartisan school board become extremely politically charged.
0: Yeah. But, you know, one thing, I, I, from looking at the issues happening there with the ACLU suing, with a PR company that they're paying hundreds of thousands of dollars to about defending some really egregious policies from my perspective, your perspective, probably. Um, you know, what is considered um, a culture war thing by one person is just defending normalcy on another side, right? Like, but it's what, like, my kids, I don't know how old your kids are, but my kids are seven and nine. My seven-year-old is learning to write. He's got a feelings journal to write because it learn, helps him learn sentences, right? And just... A sentence a day writing about how his feeling was he was tired because his brother woke him up too early it wasn't like he's talking about crazy things um but now so many people who don't have kids in school are making comments like your feelings are not appropriate discussions so when you say three out of five people say they don't want culture issues at school isn't there aren't people coming at that a very different perspectives
1: yeah, I think so. I think your personal belief system and moral framework really impact your stance on what's what's something worth fighting for
0: mm-hmm.
1: um, and what's something that really has nothing to do with students, teachers, or support staff. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, I think a lot of people want to, you know, want to keep things very focused on education and academics, and other people are very vested, very much vested in keeping our community divided and keeping culture wars alive and well. And I think that is rooted and stemmed from the pandemic um, 2020, you know, before, you know, our current board majority was in place. And, and I think that trickled down. So, you know, I think when we talk about culture wars in schools, I think it goes without saying that there are people very much against having a community divided and there are people very much for it. And what we want on a school board, I believe are people that are, Are promoting a sense of unity, a sense of community, looking at what we share and what we have in common as opposed to what makes us different, working to bring us together to solve problems in the school district. And I think if we stay focused on culture wars, we're never going to be able to do that. Um, And so it's the responsibility of our school board and our school board administration um, to really keep the focus in schools on those things. Certainly we hear the concerns of parents and families in the community about some of the, you know, some of the things at play, but our decision-making is rooted in, you know, in, in really focusing on children.
0: So what are the main issues that have kind of inspired you and your team? Because you, you're not just running by yourself. That would be terrible. Though um, <laughs> okay. I mean, someone has to. But what um, what have been the, the kind of motivating factors, like the issues that they've been doing um, that have kind of been pushing you to do this run for office?
1: Um, there's been – quite a bit. You mentioned the, um, the lawsuit by the ACLU. It's actually not technically a lawsuit. The ACLU filed a complaint, um, against the, um, against the district specifically, um, born from a group of families in central bucks, um, identifying, um, discrimination and, uh, what was, said to be a hostile work environment for LGBTQ kids. And the U.S. Department of Education announced in October of 2022 that it would investigate the district Mm -hmm. based on this ACLU complaint. Um, Shortly in that same time time frame, policy 321 was born. And this revised policy codified flag uh, flag removal and prohibited classroom discussion of anything considered sociopolitical. It incorrectly considered gender identity and sexual orientation um, to be outside of the curriculum. And it ultimately amounted to what many describe as an educational gag order um, to limit the breadth of topics that students learn about. So certainly uh, policy 321 is something That drew my attention. Um, The library policy, which has been highly debated and also uh, in the press is something else that we could also get into um, if you wanted to. Yes. Um, But certainly something that uh, drew my attention to what was going on in our community. Um, Talking about censoring teachers, you know, and librarians is something that, you know, violates our First Amendment rights. And so, you know, hearing about this and reading about these things, it certainly... um, Raised concern for me.
0: So, what's happening with the libraries? I, I, I have I want to go back to the three, two, one. But what's happening in the libraries?
1: Sure. Um. So, this policy revision, it's policy one hundred nine point one and one hundred nine point two, I believe, um, was aimed to keep uh, Central Buck School District library books age appropriate um, by prohibiting any titles that contain written or visual sexual contact. Uh, content from all grade levels. It also permitted any parent or resident to challenge a library book on the basis of appropriateness, Mm -hmm. um, which has allegedly prompted the protest of nearly 70 titles in our district. Um, So, you know, my stance, right? Um, It goes without saying um, that both sides of the aisle and our entire community value our first amendment rights. Ensuring our children's rights are protected is essential to ensure that they're successful in school. Mm -hmm. This policy effort by our school board was intended to limit access to information and ideas that prevented the acquisition of books that they found distasteful or controversial. There are so many books that have been challenged that if we base our decisions on what is controversial, we would ultimately be censoring our reading material, mm-hmm. and that's that's a real problem. We have a policy in place already in Central Box for families to place their name on a list and limit access to any book they don't feel is appropriate for their child to have access to or that violates their personal belief systems or moral framework. Um, We had that policy in place already. Um, So instead of writing policies to limit access to books for all students that arguably could be felt to be supportive to many of them, we really should be focused on what processes schools have in place for parents who want to limit mm-hmm. access to books um, for kids. And so our, our board majority has not done that. That's not what's happening. Instead, we're rewriting policy. Um, again, not at all focused on the needs of our actual school district. So, not something we're actually dealing with that was a problem in Central Box. We're not dealing with the problems. We're focusing on something that's divisive, that limits access uh, of resources for certain students, and potentially infringes on our, our rights. And so there's been a lot, of, um, a lot of dialogue and chatter in the community about this particular policy.
0: Yeah. And do you see much thought going into what's going on with challenging or banning these books? Because, like, You know, people talk about TikTok and good or bad, but I follow this account, Miss Frazzled, who I really recommend. She's a kindergarten... Well, I don't know if she is or was a kindergarten teacher, but she reads some of these banned books, and they're not explicit at all. One of them was, boys can like pink, and it was just that kids can like whatever color they want. It wasn't about gender or anything like that. It was just kids can like whatever color they want. Is it that... So, if someone who's not paying attention, because people don't pay attention to school board things, they might think, "Oh, well, they're just banning some really dirty stuff." But mm-hmm. it goes beyond that, right?
1: It does. It really does. Because if we start limiting, you know, books that people find um, inappropriate or distasteful or mm-hmm. controversial, and we and we talk about banning a book, I mean may have banning the whole library. I mean, you could arguably offend anybody for anything based on your belief Mm -hmm. system. And we don't aim to control what people believe. Everyone's got the right to their own belief system in their home. Um, We can't ban books based on people's preferences. Um we really need to focus and you know on what's best for for our students and for learning. And the Pennsylvania School Library Association, you know, actually released a statement about this um, and, you know, identified that they're opposed to censorship and any effort to coerce belief or suppress opinion by removing books from school libraries. Um, they mentioned that they're committed to supporting libraries and library workers. Um, and, and uphold their First Amendment right to the U.S. Constitution and the freedom to read and learn for all library users. So, I mean, this is not, you know, something where we can just say, well, I don't like this book because it talks about, you know, queer issues or it has graphics that make me, you know, clutch my pearls. You know, it's, it's beyond that. We need to really look at what What are the data, what does the data show about, you know, deferring to experts on these issues? And arguably a library society is a group of experts who vet these books and decide what's appropriate. Um, we can't make decisions and policy based on our belief systems. We need to look to data and to what, you know, evidence recommends that we do. And if there isn't data on a specific book, then what do library societies recommend? What do scholars recommend? Mm -hmm. Um, that's really the conversation that needs to be had at the school board level. Um, You know, something that I was thinking about the other day was, you know, I would really like to see a school board that values parental input but encourages that they partner with rather than function as authoritarians over our teachers, support staff, and students and our librarians. And so in Central Box, it feels very much like that's not what's going on, Um, that our school board is allowing people that are disgruntled with book selection to write rules about it. Mm -hmm. Um, And that just doesn't feel right to me.
0: It doesn't feel right to me either. And I'm sure it sounds like from the pushback, it doesn't feel right to a lot of other people. But what do you think uh, will be the implications of these kind of book bans and these controversies Um, you said about property values? But again, what are the impacts on students and on parents?
1: I mean the impacts on students and on parents is that we're restricting access to books that students stand to potentially gain a benefit from. You know, I'm I'm someone who represents you know the kids. The kids are my north star, right? Mm-hmm. You know, their success is paramount. And you know, their success in education is what should be driving us. And I don't believe that limiting access to books is an environment that supports successful education. Um, And I would argue that most families would agree with that. Mm -hmm. Um, So I think banning books will have a negative impact on their educational experience. I don't anticipate it's going to help deal with any of the actual issues we're facing in our community. And I think it's just going to cause people, families, the community to feel like their rights are being infringed upon. And that will not help anyone at the community level, Um, you know, bad policy coming out of our school district is going to trickle down and affect all people that live here. So everyone needs to care about these things, whether or not you have a kid in Central Buck Schools.
0: Yeah. And I find that a lot of the people who have these very strong opinions about the content in schools don't actually have kids in schools and don't know what's actually happening on day-to-day level. Because I see my kids come home from school. One, they have to pry out what they talked about that day.
1: Right. And so I have to it go through their
0: homework, place. but you know, they're doing math, they're doing basic. My son made up Saturn Planet, and we're a pretty liberal, progressive area. Like, do you think that people are just very out of touch with what's actually happening in the day to day level at school?
1: I do. I think that schools have changed mm-hmm. since, you know, certainly since we've been in school. Yeah. Um, and, you know, I think the dynamic at school for a lot of kids is different for them now, post-pandemic, than it was before. Mm-hmm. I feel like when kids first came back after the pandemic, the environment was so focused on just making sure they felt supported, right? That they felt seen, that they felt supported, that they were set up for success. Um, but y- you can't help but look at what some of the numbers show us about mental health in kids, specifically teens. Um but it's a real problem in our district and well beyond outside of Pennsylvania. It's at a national level. And so I think we're out of touch with the burden um, that kids are carrying while they're trying to be in school and learn. Yeah, And I think we need to pay attention because we can't expect to deal with mental health and kids who, you know, and, and be out of touch with what's going on for them in school. Um
0: is it banning books or limiting books that may have certain kind of content of um, kind of a form of institutional bullying towards those kids who may feel in that direction? Like, you know, I, my, my kids, my, my seven-year-old has a girlfriend that he holds hands with, which is cute and all that. But, like, kids start identifying as things or questioning things pretty early in life. And once they see that there's a policy or they can't talk about it, doesn't that have, like, a very negative personal impact on them right when they're starting to form their own opinions or worry about so many other things in their life?
1: Yeah, I think, you know, the target in our district initially began looking at um, queer literature. Mm -hmm. Um, And so and there was some, uh, some books on race, I believe in there as well. Um,
0: Kids know that black and and brown and other people exist, they can see it.
1: Correct. Right. (laughs) And our goal is to set up children so that when they go out into a diverse world, they are equipped to to thrive. And that means understanding and being educated on things that look different than they do. Mm -hmm. And so if we try to restrict them from topics, books, curriculums that are founded in data and science and that celebrate, Um, diversity, and that promote inclusion, then we are not helping our kids to thrive in the world beyond school, right? When they get to college, we we want them to be inquisitive and informed and eager to learn about things that are going on in the world. We want to set them up for success in adulthood. And I just can't believe that banning books for kids is is something that allows that to happen.
0: I also don't want kids to grow up being jerks, like... I, you you know from your own experience as a parent, like kids can be kind of mean or nice on any given day of the week, and it makes a really big um personal emotional impact on them just that they don't want to play at, at recess that day. Um like my son was telling me that one of the two of his kids don't want to be friends because they disagree about soccer. Like they, they can argue about silly things, but like don't we wanna create a world where we have less jerks?
1: Yeah, I think that's a really, really great Um, I think that we want our kids to understand that we can disagree and still communicate Mm -hmm. um, and that there's something to be said for learning how to disagree diplomatically and still listen to people we disagree with. And I don't feel that the adults in this school district are doing a great job of modeling that, or at least the ones who are very vocal about advocating for policy that's restrictive and targets marginalized populations. And I think that we need to lead by example. And if we show that we're intolerant of things we don't understand or agree with, then we are not showing children how to really look at the world cohesively.
0: Yeah. And so speaking of disagree peacefully, tolerating different opinions, respect, we don't have to tolerate every opinion necessarily sometimes. If someone's being hateful, we have to address that in a kind way. But you will... If you win, you might not have your own majority, right? You might have to work with some of these people who are pushing policies that you strongly disagree with. How do you feel as a professional, um, your first time in office potentially, having to work with people when you have such strong differences of opinions?
1: Yeah. I mean, so a little bit about my background. I'm a nurse practitioner. I've worked in healthcare for 20 years, Mm -hmm. nearly 20 years. Um, And through my work with patients and families, I've learned that a combination of compassion and common sense are critical to helping people. Understanding the challenges that people face, individuals and families, in high-stakes situations is something I feel I'm well-versed at. Mm -hmm. Utilizing data-driven decision-making and advocating for people in need are just a couple of ways that I can translate some of my professional acumen into this role. Mm-hmm. And so I do feel that while I may not be as well p- or politically versed as others, um, I do feel that that offers uh, a fresh perspective for a school board director um, and somebody that's skilled in listening. I think that we've gotten away from listening to all of the information and making a decision that serves everybody, not just select few. Um, It goes without saying that those who are marginalized in our community are not being heard. Um, And so we need to, we need to pay attention to that and we need to listen and do what we need to do to make them feel heard, seen, and supported. They are part of this school district um, and they need to be listened to.
0: And you have a team you're running with, like you're not just running by yourself. As you form that team, did you kind of make sure that, okay, we're all on the same page, so two of us win or three of us win or all of us win. We're going to conduct ourselves in this way that the district reminds us of or you were like, well, I got to run with these people. How did you come up with that team to run together?
1: So um, we currently, Central Box is divided into nine regions, mm-hmm. and currently there are five seats up for re-election. I represent Region 3, um, and in addition to my region, Region 1, Region 2, Region 6, and Region 8 are are up for election. And so through, I, you know, I think there's been a lot of different um, variables at play as to, you know, who decided to run you know, what may, how we all came to the decision to run. But I would say the the common theme for all of us has been that the kids are our focus. Mm-hmm. And while we may have similar, um, you know, political views, we are different candidates with different backgrounds. And and I wouldn't say we're completely on the same page about every single issue, although we certainly have more similarities than differences. Mm-hmm. Um, and we are, A group that is committed to fixing the school district and um, addressing what the actual needs are. And I think that that's the interesting piece about our group. You know, we all wanna focus on the main three things that we're all very much passionate about and focused on are the school staffing shortage. Um, Our school's staffing is is a crisis. We need a board that uses responsible budgeting to solve the shortage and attract top talent, not waste money on legal and crisis PR firms. Um, Mental health facing teens, we need to ensure there's counselors and mental health resources in schools so students feel supported. Mm And learning loss needs to be addressed. We need to focus our efforts on getting children back up to speed on academics while creating a positive learning environment that helps them to thrive. Those things, for us as a you know a group of candidates, we share and and are our, our priority across the board. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, looking back at some of the things that have happened over the past few years, I think we all also have similar thoughts and feelings about the what we would arguably define as poor policy that was put into place. The misuse mm-hmm. of resources. We're all on the same page about those main issues. And so we're more alike than we are different, um, but we are different candidates mm-hmm. and we represent different regions. And so it's important to highlight that. Um, mm-hmm. You know, I think we often focus so much on what makes us different that we lose sight of what what we all have in common. And one of the, f- the really nice things that has come out of this experience, of the group of people I'm working with and running alongside of, is that we're focusing on what we share in common. Mm-hmm. And that's a really nice feeling after the past few years, to find people in your community that care about the things you care about, that value the same things that you value, and that want to s- you know, speak up and fight for our kids. Um, and that's a really nice gift that's come out of uh, deciding to run for school board.
0: Yeah, I think one of my favorite things about being involved, especially in local politics is, I don't know about you, but it's kind of hard to make friends as an adult, right? You're busy with kids, you're busy with your own work. And yet when you're in politics, you share, you don't have to agree on everything. But that's a good reason to be involved is, yeah, we share these very, very important values. And now we can be together and kind of form a relationship that we wouldn't have otherwise.
1: Yeah, I agree with that completely.
0: Now, I, I know I'm going a little bit longer than I expected, but I'm really excited to talk about it. And I don't want to forget mentioning that, pol- that 3-2-1 policy. Can you just really quickly explain
1: yeah, sure. what I'll that means? Sure, I'll try to It's hard because it's been <laughs> highly controversial. Um and it's okay, you can take important longer. <laughs> thing to discuss. Uh-huh. Um, so a little bit about the background, just so, and I had, we had kind of already talked a little bit about the ACLU complaint that was made, um, and that the U.S. Department of Education uh, started to investigate it, I believe it was October of 2022, and then um, the policy draft revision was, I believe, that also started in October of 2022, um, and then ultimately was voted on and agreed upon in January of 23. Um, and... You know, what's important to remember about policy three, two, one, there's a lot of things that are important to remember is that, you know, we're talking about a marginalized group of kids. Mm -hmm. Okay. So the LGBTQIA plus group of children is a group that are at increased risk Mm -hmm. in terms of, um, you know, being concerned about mental health. So Politics aside, Policy 321 caused a marginalized group in our school district to feel oppressed and placed an at-risk population of children at even higher risk to struggle and suffer. Every parent and family in this school district wants to, wants their kid to succeed and to feel welcomed mm-hmm. in a classroom. That goes without saying. If having a flag that shows solidarity and support for these kids doesn't create harm to another student or anyone else in the process, why would we not want to support our teachers to have the option to display it there, to show support for this group of children? And that's that's the question that's really been raised by the community. If you're really trying to push politics out of the way and focus on what we're talking about, why are we concerned? Why is this policy revision a problem? That's it. Supporting the success of every single kid in this district should be the focus of our school board and administration. Their success is paramount. That needs to be our driving force. Mm -hmm. I know I keep repeating myself, but it's because it's true. Students and teachers need to feel like they have the support of their school district behind them to create a welcoming environment for every student. And I think that we can. I think we can support every kid in our district and not leave anybody behind. Um... I think that it's going to require we make sure nothing like three, two, one happens in our district again, mm-hmm. um, and that we adri- we try to problem solve the the incredible void that's been left by this policy creation for our our kids, um, and really our teachers feeling like they can't, um, you know, show support for this group of kids. Um, a lot of these children don't feel safe to be who they are at home. And mm-hmm. so school for them may feel safer yeah. and showing support, showing solidarity, putting a, a, a flag in your classroom, um, you know, to show not only students, but maybe parents of those students, maybe other teachers that you, those people are seen, they are seen and they are supported in this environment so that they can learn. And that is what, that flag represents it is not being utilized as a political symbol and that that dialogue needs to stop because mm-hmm. that's not what that flag represents for people um for especially for that that group of people
0: yeah it's not a flag that says vote for this person it's not yeah. like uh, and you know i think that in my life the one of the top causes i've known of people passing away has been suicide at an older age, but, you know, even people who my kids have met, they don't know that that happened. But, um, including a next door neighbor of mine who I wasn't close with, but just learned about that in a very sad situation. And if you feel unwelcome as a youth, it doesn't, that's snowballs for the the rest of your adult life.
1: It absolutely does. Mental health is a real thing. And, you know, I know I said, you know, the things we're focused on are learning loss, support staff, mental health, but like, one doesn't happen without the other, Mm -hmm. right? So if we talk about learning loss, how do we cope and deal with learning loss, right? Well, we look to our teachers and support staff. Mm -hmm. Well, guess what? We don't have enough of them. So we can't fix one without the other. And then we are supposed to engage students who are suffering and coping with their own struggles and and burdens. So we can't solve one problem without the other. We certainly can't continue to overlook these problems. Mm -hmm. We need a board that represents the needs of this district. We need to put down the political agendas and focus on our schools, our teachers, our kids. And until that happens, I suspect we will be on a downward downward spiral in Central Bucks.
0: Yeah, I just from my again my own personal experience. My son, a few months ago, he was eight. And one of his friends was saying something that was kind of self-harmful. And I don't know how serious he took it, but he's like, this is, it doesn't sound good that he's talking about himself this way. And I said, you're his friend. Do you want to talk to the teacher? You can do it discreetly. We can, we can handle it. And because he trusts his teacher, it wasn't because of any, I don't know what issue it was specifically, but his teacher was able to broach that with the parent and, and discuss it in a mature way. And you know, they're great friends. I see them at school assemblies together. They play together all the time. And I think, I can't imagine what would happen if they were in a situation where one of them couldn't talk to that teacher.
1: Yeah. And teachers are afraid. I mean, they're, if you talk to the community, teachers are afraid to say anything. Mm-hmm. They're afraid they're going to be attacked. They've been accused of indoctrination of our youth. I mean, it's, when did it become okay to start, you know, attacking teachers for trying to support their students? The other thing, too, to think about with these kids, and when we talk about mental health, is what are we doing with our resources in schools? You know, fiscal responsibility is something that we have really focused a lot on as candidates running Mm -hmm. for school board, you know, me and my, you know, the four other candidates I'm working with. Um, It should be mentioned that You know, in addition to our board majority and administration creating divisive policy and dividing our community, we've wasted an extraordinarily large sum of money. I think the forecasted expenses for the district at this point in time are upwards of $850,000 for the firm that they hired. And to be clear, this is the firm that the board majority hired to defend the district in the complaint by the ACLU for a hostile work environment. I'm sorry, hostile environment for LGBTQ plus youth. In addition to the $150,000 $150, dollars that were spent on the crisis PR firm that was hired. So we are at, clo- at or close to $1 million to defend these terrible policies. Mm-hmm. Um, when we talk about helping youth, helping deal with the mental health crisis in our kids, think about what we could have done with that money Mm -hmm. and think about how many mental health professionals we could have in place to Mm -hmm. help, to help.
0: Even just one more.
1: Yes. Right. And one more in one school could make all the difference. And so our focus really needs to be on spending dollars on students, on resources for our teachers on our support staff, and focusing on recruitment and retention in our community as well. Um, I really think that myself as well as um, the other four people I'm running alongside of you know, plan to restore a sense of financial stewardship in the district and on the board and allocate resources appropriately. Um, I really want our school district to be known for smart decision-making on behalf of our kids and not irresponsible spending. Yeah.
0: Doubt. Well, it sounds like you have really thought through the actual details of policy. Sometimes people run for office and they think of the, um, they're great people, but they think about the high issues, uh, what the president's saying or not saying, but you yeah. clearly put policies into place and you have a team. Before I finish here, if people want to learn more about that and learn about about the importance of school board, where should they go to learn more?
1: Absolutely. Um, I ask that if you listen to this podcast and you're in alignment with my you know, platform, that you spread my message, that you consider donating to my campaign and help me fight for the kids in Central Book School District. Um, you can learn more about me at www.electdanafoley.com. I also have a Facebook page, Elect Dana Foley CBSD, as well as Instagram at Elect Dana Foley. Um, I would encourage all listeners to register to vote if you haven't already Mm -hmm. and get out there on May 16th and vote in your primary election for candidates like me, where you live, we can all fix this and we can have a school district that we're once again proud of. Um, I really need the vote for my region (laughs) three voters, uh, my region three voters in order to do it. So So like I said, if you can spread my message, donate to my campaign and help me fight for kids, um, I'll do my best to fight for them.
0: Yeah, so if you are in Central Box, definitely look up Dana Foley. But a lot of people might be listening who aren't there because I think it's such a national or at least statewide issue. Why? For, before I go, the podcast is called You Should Run. From your brief experience now, why would you encourage others to take up the challenge and run for office, particularly school board?
1: So school board elections typically have very low voter turnout, as we've kind of talked about. And the local politics in your community arguably impact you more so than that of national elections. And so real change begin, you know, in your community begins at the local level. Get engaged, get involved, care about what's going on in your community because it will impact you on the daily I would ask that people pay attention to platforms like this and to platforms like mine so that they can educate themselves on what's going on, not just in your community, but well beyond it and what you can do as an advocate for education and children and local politics in general, you know, who fixes your roads and repairs your buildings. I mean, these, the people that run for local office matter, their platforms matter and they impact you. So stay engaged support, you know, your, your candidates as best you can. They're often your neighbors or your friends and, um, you know, care, get engaged. It's easy to, it's easy to get lost in not caring and staying disengaged, especially when we're all recovering from the trauma of a pandemic and trying to get back to normal lives. We don't, we don't want to add to our plates with stress, but this is a really good way to find like-minded individuals who care about the things you care about and to feel like you have a sense of community um, fighting for the same things that you're fighting for.
0: Yeah, I I just wrote that down. I think it's really important to say, like, it's easy to get lost in not caring. Um, But I think if anyone cares, they should get involved. And if you're listening, maybe you should run for office. Uh, Dana, I've talked with 100, well, over 100 people on this podcast. I think this is one of the most important conversations I've had. Uh, Thanks so much. uh, And best of luck. Any final words of encouragement to people who are listening before we go?
1: Um, For the kids of Central Buck School District, hang in there. We're coming to help.
0: Great. I'm glad you're doing it. Please listen, share, and subscribe, and follow Dana Foley on everything. Follow this. Follow me, too, but that's less important. <laughs> um, that's less important. These school board elections are critical. And contact me at Tony Heil and at You Should Run Pod. Follow Dana. Thank you so much, Dana, and best of luck in Central Bucks.
1: Thank you, Tony. I appreciate it.